Welcome back to Native Exiles, Alderwood Community Church's podcast, where we talk about following Jesus in the tension of being in the world, but not of it. And before I get into the content of our episode today, I just want, quickly want to invite you to submit a question. We're going to be recording a special Q&A episode uh, for Christmas that's going to come out. And if you submit a question this week, we might be able to include it in that episode. We'd love to hear what's on your heart, what questions are in your mind about faith, about the Bible, about life, and uh, what would you like Steve and I to respond to? So Toby's going to put a link in the show notes. If you want to click on that and record your voice that we might be able to include in this podcast, we would appreciate it. But today we are talking about a massive issue and it is the problem of evil. How do we believe in God's goodness even when we face so much real and powerful evil in the world around us? And Steve and I are going to wrestle with that. And so a a bit of a disclaimer on this episode, uh, make sure that you're in a spot where you're willing to wrestle with some of these hard issues. We're going to talk about real evil. We're going to talk about tough things. And so uh, if you're not quite ready for that, I might invite you to consider coming back to this episode at a different time. But if you're ready, we're ready. And I hope that you enjoy it. Well, Steve, today we thought we would just tackle one of the biggest questions about God that has ever been asked. How do you feel about that? I won't lie and say that I'm not a little bit nervous about my ability to tackle the problem of evil. Yes, the problem of evil. So, and we kind of touched on this just in our recent series in Second Peter, looking a little bit at, we were talking about injustice. The, you know, the, the problem of looking around the world and seeing so much injustice, and at times it seems like nothing's being done about it, that people who perpetrate acts of evil maybe don't even have anything happen to them as a result of that. They succeed, and and how so easily somebody could look at that and go, okay, like, how can you actually believe that there's a good God who sees everything, who's in control of the world if these things are happening? Why doesn't he do something? Right. Why doesn't he intervene? Right. And that is just kind of one aspect of this much bigger theological issue that everyone from teenagers wrestling just with what they believe to college students debating in philosophy class to just normal Christians who have believed in God with no problem their whole life until something really horrific happens to them start to ask, which is, okay, we see there's evil in the world. how does that fit in any way with my faith in a good and powerful God? So that's called kind of the problem of evil in general. And Steve, maybe just, can you give us just kind of the simplest version of the philosophical problem of evil? Yeah. I mean, I think philosophers have asked for forever, really, if if God is loving, then why doesn't he do something to intervene? And if God is all powerful, why doesn't he just stop it altogether? Right. So he's either not loving or not all powerful or both. Yep. Yep. And so that's the attack basically from a philosophical standpoint that evil proves that there can't be a God that exists that is both A, all powerful and B, good. He might be one or the other, by the way, but yeah. Right. And, you know, we're laying that out so people kind of understand where this comes from, but experientially people very rarely come at this question from a philosophical standpoint. You know, it's not that you're just like walking down the street one day and then this philosophical problem hits you and you go, oh my gosh, how do I still believe in God because of that? It's never that. It's something you you run head on into evil in our world in some way and you feel this problem before you really think about it. Yeah, and you're not going to live long before this problem becomes more than a philosophical problem. I mean, You know, I I remember when this problem, well, for all of us, I think it becomes deeply personal at many points in our lives. I will never forget 
I was seven years old, and hopefully people won't call my parents out for child abuse, but <laughs> we were traveling through Europe, a summer trip through Europe, and they took us to one of the concentration camps in Germany. And, you know, those pictures are forever burned into my mind. And even as a seven-year-old kid, I just remember thinking, how can this happen? How does this happen in the world? I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that wasn't the only time you ran into something like that. No, uh, I was sharing with you, you know, we had a missions trip. We had several, in fact, to Cambodia. And uh, we visited the killing fields, which was just unthinkable, where, you know, I was realizing just how huge of a genocide this was recently, because the population of Cambodia in 1975, when the Khmer Rouge took over, was about 8 million people. And by the end of the era known as the killing fields, about 2 million of those people were dead. That's crazy. But we also visited, four. yeah, one in four. I mean, it's shocking, but what was most shocking was we visited a place called Tool Slang or S21 prison. And there was about 200 of these torture prisons around the country, but this is the most notable one. It was in uh, Phnom Penh, the capital. And our missions team visited this the, the first day, welcome to Cambodia. And there was a couple aspects to it because there was just the unspeakable suffering that people endured. Like one of the things besides the routine torture, which was intended to extract some kind of a confession out of you, um, was that you could not even talk to other people. Mm. You couldn't talk. You couldn't get a drink of water without asking. It was just unthinkable, the conditions. But then I'll, remember, I'll never forget this one story of a foreign uh, two foreign guys, like an American and a New Zealander, they were in a neighboring country of Thailand, decided one day to just to go out on a sailboat, have a little fishing outing there in the Gulf of Thailand. Storm blew up, blew them into the country of Cambodia, and they suffered and died in this horrible place. And so there's like the moral evil that you were confronted with, but then there was like the, oh my goodness, these two guys just having a good time get blown unknowingly into the worst nightmare one could imagine. Yeah, and that kind of random nature of evil makes it in some ways even harder to kind of sit with our view of how God acts in the world. Because yep. it's just like, God, why did you have to do that? Why Why did that storm have to happen at that moment? I mean, why it could have just been so easy to, to just let those two guys go out in their fishing boat and just go home, you know? Exactly. Um, and, and, you know, in, in the sense of the moral evil, there is an agent I can blame. In that case, incidentally, and quite shockingly, it was young teenagers that were administering most of the, the torture, which is also wow. unthinkable. But you know how teenagers could be brainwashed, not to mention adults. That was the part of the story that just, I couldn't sleep that night. Yeah. Thinking about these two poor guys who just got blown in to a situation they could never imagine. Yeah, and there's, I mean, there's countless examples we could go to to kind of point out that random nature of things. I mean, even just natural disasters are an aspect of the problem of evil where there is no moral agent involved in any way. You know, it's just, this is just the world we live in. And it's often, it seems random where that, uh, where that occurs and who's affected by it yeah. and all of that. So You ever see those post-tornado news stories where like, there'll be a subdivision and there'll be like four houses in the subdivision. They got wiped out. Why did those four right. houses, did they like curse God the night before? What, what is going on here? Well, it's interesting that you asked that question because uh, Jesus was asked a very similar question to that, right? The uh, tower of Siloam falls down and kills, we think the builders that were building it. And somebody comes to Jesus and says, so Jesus, tell us like what's going on here. Um, and one of the things I'm just so grateful for is that Jesus does, give us a pretty clear answer to that. You know, he, he says, don't think that those were worse sinners than everyone yeah. else. That, that when you look at random evil in the world, uh, we don't, 
we might grasp at how to how to explain it and we maybe not have an exactly clear answer but we do know this it is not true that when bad things happen it's because god is punishing people who were worse than everybody else around them right and we love to play the judge as human beings you know so in our mind you know nazism is the height of all evil and of course it was a horrible evil but you know we can't imagine that someone who's not a nazi prison guard could deserve right punishment right or evil well, before we go on too far, I, uh, it's already clear this is a little bit of a heavier topic. So if you're still with us, uh, <laughs> we're not going to spend much more time you know, explaining out all the details of evil in the world. But we want to ask this question of you know, how do we maintain our faith in God's goodness? And this is part of the Native Exiles thing, right? I mean, we live in this broken world. We're here. It's our home, our family, our loved ones. They, we all live here together, but we believe that that. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We believe that there is a good God who has the, the timeline of history in the palm of his hands, who's working towards redemption. And so how do we hold those two things at the same time when we see the reality of brokenness in this world? And I think it's an area where the church has uh, made some missteps at time. Absolutely. And I mean, before we dive into that, one of the things I love about the Bible is the Bible makes it very clear that evil befalls those who are godly and those who are ungodly. Being a godly person is not some kind of a protection against bad things happening to you. It might lessen the consequences that you might, you know, reap from bad behavior, but their house might get taken up by the tornado just like somebody else's house. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, let's jump into that. Let's jump into some of the ways that maybe we might make some mistakes that we're trying to explain this reality. Okay, Steve, so there's some missteps we can take when we're trying to solve the problem of evil, how we explain God is all-powerful and good, and yet evil exists in the world. We just pointed out one, uh, you know, the idea that, well, maybe it's explained just because evil only happens to bad people. It'd be nice if it was that nice if that was true. It's just not. Jesus kind of shot that one down. Jesus, clear as day, says that's not how it works. So we're left with trying to explain it some other ways. And, and um, I, I want to kind of work through a couple different ways that people might fall off the rails theologically as they try to explain the existence of evil. Um, and one just comes from such a good place and a good heart. I mean, you see something evil in the world, and, and let's just make it personal for a second. I mean, you're walking through a family that experiences the the loss of a close family member you know someone's yeah. spouse is taken from them without warning or a cancer diagnosis or something like that you're coming alongside somebody who's hurting you know we've both had this experience in real life and so there's this real evil going on and the temptation is to go to that person and, and, to, and to counsel them to comfort them by saying you just you need to know god had nothing to do with this god does not want this to happen he hates this uh, he was not involved in this evil thing happening. And that sounds really good for a second, but there's a problem with it. I mean, do you, do you recognize Absolutely, that? Absolutely, because if you're sitting in the shoes or in the seat of that person who just lost somebody and their, their heart is absolutely agonizing, you're going, okay, so you just justified to me that God loves me, but where is God then? Where is he in all this? Because I need some kind of sense of where he's at. 
Totally. So you're you're solving one problem, but you're actually creating a much bigger problem. The, the problem you're solving is that person who's, you know, let's just say your wife was killed in a car accident and you're angry at God. Yeah. You're saying like, God, you have not been good. You let this evil thing happen to me. And so you're solving the problem of God being evil by saying God had nothing to do with it. And that might make you feel better for a second. But then there's no way to get past the fact that God did know that this was going to happen. Even if he didn't do it, he was aware of it. He wasn't caught off guard by it. He could have stopped it and he didn't. So what does that say about God? Even if you say he didn't do it, he somehow was still involved in the universe as this event took And part of the problem with that is, you know, we often work the opposite way. So I just had a conversation this morning with with Bonnie Oliver, and she was telling me that they chose not to go to the Cougs game this weekend because Kent's knee hurt. And it turned out that it was terrible. They closed the pass down and it would have been a terrible drive and the game was shrouded in fog and they would have hated it. So we go, when God intervenes like that, we're like, oh, that's awesome. God was, God actually was being good and Ken's knee, Ken's knee hurting, etc. So we think that way all the time. But then when something bad happens and we try that on again, we're like, wait a minute, I have a big problem now. Exactly. Exactly. So the, that desire to kind of separate God from evil by saying he has nothing to do with evil. Um, It can feel really helpful, but it ends up negating that other part of the equation of who God is, the part that he really is in control of all things. And and by saying that, I don't mean that God actively does all things, but what I'm saying specifically is that things are never out of control for God. He's not helpless in any situation. God allowed it to happen. There, there is nothing that's happening against God's will. Yes. And that's why this is such a big problem is because that easy answer is just really not available to you if you hold the orthodox view of God from the scriptures. Yeah, and, and the philosophical way of putting this isn't bad because we, as human beings, crave to know both. Is God loving? Is God in control? I heard recently, apparently Albert Einstein said, the biggest question of my life is, is the universe a friendly place? Mm-hmm. We're all asking that question all the time. And if there's somebody behind the universe, we really want to know what he's like. He better be loving and powerful. Yeah. So, okay. So we can't say God just wasn't there. He wasn't around. And that's why this evil thing happened. He was busy or not paying attention or any of that. And he is really, really good, but just kind of missed it on this one. That's yep. not, that's not going to work. Uh, but there's another way to get off the rails and it's kind of the opposite. It's to really emphasize God's control and neglect his goodness in some way. And this is one where you say, okay, so God's in control of all things. Um, Nothing happens outside of his control. He's involved in the universe to the finite detail. And then doesn't that kind of mean that God did this evil thing? And is he loving? And and then, you know, the theological position past that is, um, okay, God did this evil thing. He caused my wife to die in this car accident. And so, therefore, it must be good in some way. This this car accident that took my wife is somehow a good thing that God did for me. And then you, yeah, and that, I think, has some problems as well. But, I, I mean, how do you see that one? It's, uh, it's the other horn of the dilemma. You're right. And, I, you know, I think of a couple of different things in my mind. Like, one thing that comes to mind is I once heard a particular apologist who was, you know, talking about this question. And he said... What's so hard? God's sovereign. He created all things. Yes, he created evil. What's the question? Yeah. Which 
appalled me and probably everyone else who was listening to him because that just doesn't sit well with most of us. That philosophically might fit your system. It doesn't fit the way I live my life. I can't imagine anybody walking out of the room going like, okay, God is responsible for all evil. Check. Done. Let's move no on to the next problem. problem. Let's yeah. just move along. <laughs> I, was, uh, I was on another missions trip years ago in the Philippines with our missionaries, the Lions. They have a large theological uh, college. And Fred Williams and I, Pastor Fred, were getting free-form questions from like 200 theological students. And I'll never forget the panic I felt when one of these Filipino students said, can you please explain to me Isaiah 45, 7? And he read it to us in the King James Version. Let me read it it to you right now. This is God speaking. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. Wow. And uh, I said, um, Fred, what do you have to say about that? Why don't you enlighten us? I punted really quick. Well, okay. So that's a, I mean, that's a powerful verse. And for somebody who's on that side of the theological spectrum, who is explaining things that way, it's just like, well, there it is. Proof I mean, text. Read your Bible. Isaiah 45, seven, God says, I create evil. Uh, is it that simple? Absolutely not. I mean, it's always helpful to read a verse in several translations. So, you know, you might start there. I looked it up in the NIV. I form the light, create darkness. I bring prosperity and create disaster. It is a Hebrew word that is a really broad spectrum word. Calamity, affliction, disaster. Evil is one of like 12 potential terms. Yep. It's a word that communicates a negative reality and negative experience in the moral context it means evil you know negative morality in uh you know the context of world events or you know even like weather events it means calamity or disaster or any of that and i think that is what god is saying here is saying man i am behind all the things going on in the world yeah Uh, and we know by the way we know that that's true i mean this shouldn't be shocking to anybody who's read their bibles god destroys sodom and gomorrah he you know sends the flood like god is behind some of these huge disastrous calamity type events and that's what isaiah 45 is saying and that's even the context it is it is the context of god bringing judgment and most of us are fine with that oh okay he's just gonna punish bad people for doing bad things we we can live with that but it's trickier when it's our wife who died at an early age from a random car accident and yeah we had an experience uh hanging out with some people who were on that side of the conversation and um (laughs) doing some pastoral care you want to tell that story we were at a a conference several years ago our whole pastoral and director staff and uh, we heard a a very gifted theologian uh he's now since passed rc sproul a man for whom i have an incredible amount of respect yeah i do too he um was in his early 80s at the time we were all kind of amazed he was actually at the conference and we same kind of thing I was just talking about a moment ago. It was an open forum. There were people, you know, giving questions from the floor. And one man it very emotionally said, Dr. Sproul, I, I lost my 16-year-old son a couple of years ago to a tragic car accident. And I've struggled these last couple of years with just believing that God is good. I try to pray. I love God. But it's just hard to understand why he would do this. And R.C. Sproul summarily, to our shock, just answered and said, do you love God? What What is the problem here? If you really love God, this isn't hard. Yeah. And that didn't sit great. <laughs> <laughs> I felt pretty bad for that guy. Uh, but that is kind of the issue is 
if you emphasize God's sovereignty to the point where you have no problem saying that any bad or evil thing that happens happens just because God did it, and so the problem is with us if we have a problem with God, the reason why that theologically doesn't sit right is actually a good reason. It's because it doesn't mesh well with one of the true things about God, which is that God is good. It's not enough to just say that God's in control of all things. One of the clear aspects of God's character is his goodness. And it's not a, it's not a biblical tension of scripture. God's goodness isn't, you know, a nuanced thing. It's just a true thing. That's true all the time, the time about God, God is good. And I mean, maybe we have a scripture to share that might help people just place that in in the Bible. Yeah, there's a wonderful scripture in Psalm 119, uh, verse 68, that just says, you are good and what you do is good. And I think, you know, in the context of what we're talking about here, this tension between God being loving and powerful, good is kind of a a word that captures both of those things. His heart is good and therefore what comes out of him and what he does and how he operates his world is also good. Yeah. And just to kind of put the point on it. If you believe that what God does is good because God is good, it means that God does not do evil. There is never a point where you can explain evil in the world by just saying, well, it's simple. God just does evil things. That is antithetical to God's character. You might have a scripture to that point. There's one we often think about. uh, Is it James 1? Oh, well, that God doesn't tempt us, right? I mean, that, that you can't explain your temptation by saying, well, God just tempted me. God doesn't do that. He's not. He's Nor is he tempted by evil. Correct. He's not tempted to do evil. He doesn't tempt you to do evil. Yeah. God is good. He wants you to do good. Um, you know, there's another There's another one that uh, I often use, and, and I'm not going to be able to remember the reference for it. Uh, maybe Toby can do us a favor and throw it at the show notes at the end of the episode. <laughs> but um, it's when the Israelites are... Uh, are sacrificing their kids to Molech and uh, God speaks to the prophet Jeremiah and says, I did not command you to do this, nor did this ever enter my mind. And, And to me, that is just God as clearly as you could possibly say, I am not behind this. I'm not making you do this. It did not enter my mind that you should do such a thing. So you can't explain it by saying God does evil. And so uh, we're, we're laying out some of the, the problems and, and kind of where this gets you theologically is that whatever your answer is, and, and this is, by the way, is a mysterious problem. We're not going to be able to put a neat bow on it. <laughs> There's but, been a few books written about this, I think. Just a couple. Years, yeah. yeah. Uh, but whatever your answer is, as you work through this difficulty, you explain evil in the world and God, your answer has to not get rid of the fact that God is in control, that he's in, he's in power, nothing gets by him, nothing is too big for him. It can't get rid of that. It also can't get rid of the fact that God is good, truly good in the fullest sense without exception. Um, although I think it's important for us to just stop and note, the pitfalls in handling this issue are not all theological. No, not at all. I mean, I think every human being faces this. You know, it's it's always interesting to me that People who will never mention God suddenly go through intense suffering. I've had this experience with neighbors of mine, and suddenly God's very real to them. I mean, every human being has some sense, I think, that we are finite and we are dependent creatures. And when things go wrong, suddenly the question of God looms very large. And there's a lot of ways people respond to that. Yeah, and there's some easy practical missteps that the church can take in handling the problem of evil pastorally in people's lives. Uh, what, what are some that come to mind for you, Steve? Do you think about some, some missteps we might take just practically speaking? 
Well, we've we've hit a few pastorally already, right? Either being flippant and making it purely theological. Why are you having any emotional response <laughs> whatsoever? Um, I think that's one. I'm not sure if I'm getting at your question, but I'm thinking of the way people just often deal with this period, which is I just, you know, I just want to bury myself. I just want to escape. That might take the form of alcoholism. That might take a million. That might just be Monday night football. But we want to escape. Escape is ignore the question. For sure. Yeah, something evil happens, some suffering happens, and rather than come to God and try to process this and try to do the hard work of figuring out how you can believe in God in the midst of this suffering, you just run from the problem. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Man, I think of, when I think of some missteps that the church has done in this issue, I think of just the fact that often the church has just flat out ignored this problem. Like we just design church services that are always celebratory. I mean, we set this culture where the expectation is that every time you walk in these doors, you're smiling, your kids are smiling, they're well-dressed. You know, you walk in, the songs are upbeat, the pastor's excited to be there. I mean, that's this is me often. I mean, you know, I'm not going to come out on stage with like sackcloth and ashes on. Okay, and, Debbie Downer. Yeah, you know, like we're always excited. You know, we, we want it to feel like a good experience to worship God. And and there's a lot of good reasons for that. I mean, yeah. we, as followers of Jesus, who've been forgiven our sins and invited into the kingdom of God and given a hope in the future, there's a lot to celebrate, and that's a good thing. But when week after week after week, we never touch the problem of evil, it creates a huge problem for somebody who's right in the middle of that. Yeah. Because if that's you and your church never talks about it, you basically feel like your church isn't a place where you can process the worst things that are happening to you. Yeah, and this is one of the reasons I think it's so tragic that the modern evangelical church often neglects the Old Testament. Yeah. I mean, you know, when you look at the Psalms, for instance, if you have had any instruction on the Psalms, there's Psalms of praise and Psalms of lament. I believe it's two to one lament to praise yeah. as you read them. The, the, the Bible gives us words and prayers and ways to process with people in real life circumstances who endured the kind of pain and questions we're talking about. So that's one of the things, being non-liturgical as we are, we miss some of the things that more liturgical churches build in and the Psalms build in for us. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough problem to solve, too, because, you know, there's no easy answer. There's not just the answer is it the, isn't the reverse. It isn't that every right. time we show up to church, we're mourning. Uh, but I mean, I just remember talking with a close friend of mine who was in a really hard season of life. And and she said one of the hardest things was coming to Sunday morning to showing up to church, you know, because you're in this really low point and you walk up to those doors of the church and somebody is smiling there. And the first question they ask is, hi, how are you today? <laughs> right. And, and the answer, the expected answer is I'm great. I'm just excited to be here, you know, and, and you know, you can't say the truth. And so it forces you to pretend. And that's yeah. just a really dangerous thing. Um, you know, right now, again, no easy answers, but one of the things we coach our greeters on for that very reason is that when people show up to church, don't ask them a question, give them a statement, tell them, we're so glad you're here today. That's great. No matter where you're coming from, you know, no matter whether you're happy or sad or any of that, we're just, we're glad that you're here. Uh, and so let's actually move into that. Let's move into some of the solutions and rather than just throwing stones at all the ways that people have botched this, let's see if we can actually add anything productive. All right, Wyatt. So we've we've posed just a few questions, opened the can of worms. Whole tomes have been written about this question. How are we going to land this thing? What are some ways we can approach this and have some sense of closure? 
Oh, you mean you think we should have some solutions instead of just poking holes Maybe in everybody else's attempts? Okay, yeah. So this is the much harder part. Right? I mean, this is the same thing as deconstructing is easier than reconstructing. It's, uh, but I think there are some really helpful things just to think about as you try to uh, wrestle through the problem of evil, to, to believe that God is good, to believe that God is powerful, even knowing full well that real evil exists in this world. And, and the first one, I think, the, the most simple answer, and maybe it's the one that's on people's tongues even right now as they've been waiting for us to say something, I really do believe that the Bible's answer to why evil exists is fairly clear and simple, and it is the free will of human beings. That is the story of Genesis. The story is that God creates everything good. He creates us to be good. He puts us in the garden and he gives us a choice. Okay. Okay. But hang on a minute. Are you telling me my free will caused a tornado to hit in Toledo, Ohio? What does that have to do with it? (laughs) Okay. So it's not as simple as that, but God created a universe in which we were going to partner with him to rule on his behalf. And he was going to be present with us and in control of everything. And Somehow, when when we rejected that relationship by eating the fruit that God told us not to eat, that whole thing broke. And it broke in, in a way that uh, affects the human heart, that we sin and cause evil. But it broke even in a more cosmic way, just in the fact that we rejected a universe that was truly ruled by God and said, we're going to run the show now. Yep. And I think part of even natural evil in the world, the tornado, the tsunami, all of that is God giving us over to that choice to say, fine, okay, you run the world and let's see how it goes. And I, so I, in some big cosmic way, the Bible's answer to why evil exists is not that God's not good. It's that God is good, but human beings decided not to serve and live in God's good universe. We don't need you. We decided we didn't need him. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Um, and so I think that's a big piece of it, but I think there's more. I, I think there's more things that we can add to that conversation to start to chip away at this problem in some ways. And part of it is just to recognize that it's not like the world is all evil, right? Absolutely. And I mean, you know, I shared a little bit, I think in our last episode, how when you wrestle with these questions, you don't always get satisfactory answers from the people around you. I mean, you have to look, you have to dig, you have to search. And that sometimes comes through the scriptures. For me, a guy named G.K. Chesterton, who was a guy who lived about 100 years ago in England, a Christian apologist, literary critic, very well known at the time. I read Chesterton's book, Orthodoxy, about 20 years ago, and he just had so many unique ways of coming at this. Like, for instance, he said, I view the world like a fairy tale. He said people often criticize Christianity as it's just a fairy tale. He says it is like a fairy tale because in a fairy tale, you always have some weird condition like don't stare at the green curtain. If you stare at the green curtain, the whole world's going to come apart. He goes, well, that's just a picture of reality. To your point a minute ago, you know, that's what we faced in the garden, that, that if we chose to eat a fruit, which was a symbol of not needing God, not trusting God, the fabric of the universe would be torn, and we see that everywhere. But Chesterton also talked about not the problem of evil or the problem of pain, but the problem of pleasure. Yeah. And he said, you know, I would love to just squawk about the evil in the universe, but if I'm honest, I have to ask myself, if there's no God, why is there so much good in the world? Why do I eat things that taste so good? Why is there, you know, the enjoyment of watching flowers bloom in the spring or sitting out in the hot sun on a summer's day? Where does that all come from? And I think it's a really profound question. He says that's the thorn in the side of the atheists. Because there's so much 
unnecessary good in the world. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. like God did not have to make a Cuban sandwich taste as good as it tastes. <laughs> he could have just, we could have been eating little nutrition cubes that have no flavor to keep us alive, but that's not the world he created, right? God didn't have to create color. He didn't have to create music. He didn't, have to, I mean, there's so much about this world that is just good. And if you believe that there's no good creator to the world, then how do you explain the fact that there's just pleasure everywhere in our Why existence? do we laugh? I mean, you ever think about that? Why does this strange sound come out of our mouths at these random times, you know? Yeah. It, it's funny you mentioned music. I remember, I don't know, five or six years ago, there was a really well-known atheist in England named A.N. Wilson, which it always cracks me up, Wyatt, that if you're like a theologian or a philosopher in England, you have to have two initials. Always. W.W. W. Martin, S.M. <laughs> Brooks wants to yeah. tell you something really <laughs> profound. This, uh, this atheist, A.N. Wilson, he had been a notable atheist for a couple of decades. And when he decided to convert back to Christianity, he said, two things constantly stumped me in my atheism. He said, I could never explain why I loved music and why it has this almost otherworldly quality to the enjoyment of it. And he said, I couldn't explain language. How do we have this miracle of being able to make so many words and sounds that convey to another human being what's going on in our hearts? And I thought that was really interesting to the problem of pleasure. Yeah. And, you know, atheists will, in the same way that we're talking about problems of evil, will come up with uh, answers to this. You know, you can explain evolutionarily why, you know, tribes that had laughter out succeeded <laughs> tribes that didn't or, you know, whatever. Like you can come up with all these reasons that you want to. But when you just look at the weight of pleasure in the world, there is just this easy answer. This was a place created by a good God who loves us. Yeah. And, and I, it, I don't mean to put it all on atheists because it's not just atheists that struggle with the problem of evil, but I'm always struck. Again, I remember reading something a couple of years ago. It was an atheist who had been present at the birth of his first child hmm. and watched his wife or partner or whatever give birth. And he said, I hate to admit it, but it almost made me want to believe there was a God because yeah. I was so full of joy and pleasure and wonder. I just didn't have any words in my atheist vocabulary to describe it. How do you describe that great good you feel in the world? Okay, so there's the problem of pleasure. Uh, but I want to point to another thing that I think many people don't think about, which is that the problem of evil is not just a problem for Christians. It's actually a problem for atheists. It's a problem for your worldview if you don't believe in God. And that's a little counterintuitive at first. I mean, if there is no God in the universe, then it seems like evil is easy to explain. You know, it's just a world where people are selfish and do evil things. And uh, there you go, you know, but, but the reason why the problem of evil is a problem for atheists is because the only moral and philosophical foundation for calling something evil is God. And I, I want to just stop for a second and give some nuance. I am not saying that if you don't believe in God, you are evil or you Good clarifier. Can't, can't be a moral person right. or and I'm not, not saying that at all. I am just saying that a worldview without God has no ability to explain why morality even exists at all. What do you mean by that? Why? So if we live in a naturalistic world that has no spiritual reality and no God behind it, then human behavior is just the product of evolution, basically. All we do and all we think is the product of what allowed our ancestors to be more uh, capable of survival than other branches of the human race. And so that's why we're here. So our opinions about morality and all of that, their whole purpose 
is just to allow our tribe and our people to have more babies and live and not get eaten by animals and destroyed by the other tribes. So that might be helpful for survival, but one thing that's not is moral. There, there's no good or bad in that. There's just what is advantageous for survival, which means that all you can do is look at behavior and essentially say, either I like that behavior or I don't like that behavior. Right. What you can't say is that that behavior is objectively, truly, morally evil uh, because all that person is doing is the result of their biological uh, you know, processes that led to them evolving here, their tribe and their line that produced their desires and their view of the world. Like they're doing exactly what you're doing just in, in a different way that you don't like as much. And so all we can do is point the finger at each other and say, I like this. I don't like that. You know, man, we really like human rights. We like the fact that people have an inherent right to life and liberty. Uh, but if there's some other nation or tribe or people group out there that says, we don't care about human rights. We actually think it's better if we all just fight for ourselves and do whatever we want to each other, you have no moral philosophical ground to actually say that your view of the world is better, more moral than anybody else's. So what, what of the atheists, since we're using that construct here, then who says, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. I'm saying there actually is no such thing as evil in the world. Yeah. What's the problem? And, and by the way, I mean, I don't think we're maligning many atheists. I think it's actually a very common atheist philosophical position to just own that, to yep. say, yep, that's true. Exactly like you just said. And uh, what I would say is that God created you to just not be able to live that way. Man, we long for meaning, don't we? Some yeah. sense of purpose behind what's going on in our world. Yeah. I mean, it, and I would just challenge anybody who is listening right now who's kind of bent that way to that naturalistic explanation of morality, that it's just biological processes and nothing else. Um, man, go Google, you know, some of the concentration camps that you mentioned at the beginning of the episode. Yeah. Look at the photos, read the history, sit with it for a while, and then ask yourself, can you really live in a world where you think that that's not truly evil? where that is just a different way that we evolved and not something that is truly morally wrong that needs to be expunged from the universe. And, and that's what Christianity offers you in the problem of evil. It offers you the ability to say, no, you know, this isn't just something I don't like. This is truly evil because God is good. He created us to be good. He intends the world to be good. And this is something that violates the very fabric of the universe. And Christianity gives you that philosophical ability to call evil evil that a naturalistic worldview just never can. My heart chafes. My longing for meaning cannot bear yeah. that reality, yeah. that there's nothing behind it, which I think why that kind of brings me to one last one I think maybe we ought to cover. And it's probably the most profound one to me. God is not a philosophical argument. He's more than a philosophical argument. He's a yeah. person. And the person of Jesus Christ not only entered our world, but he entered our suffering. You know, we, we read so much about the suffering servant in the book of Isaiah, where we're told that he was acquainted with sorrow and familiar with grief, that he was subject to torture such that he was beyond recognition as a mm. human being. It wasn't just that people didn't know, is that Jesus or not? People looked at him and thought, is that just a chunk of flesh? He was reduced to human suffering and rubble. And he did that because he is all loving and he was willing to die in our place and take the punishment that we deserved. God is not removed or uncaring. 
And he proved that in Jesus. Yeah. And that is so important. And I mean, this is maybe where we'll just leave people on this question. You know, when we face the problem of evil, what we want is the neat and tidy answer. Mm -hmm. Like God just explain this to me so I get it so I can move on. And the truth is that God just doesn't give us that. God's answer to the problem of evil is Jesus. It is entering into our brokenness as a person, experiencing it, taking it on, even though he does not need to or deserve to in our place so that we can receive forgiveness. And kind of my pastoral encouragement to somebody who's really wrestling with this is to lean into God's answer. You know, read read the philosophy books and do the intellectual study, and that's all great. But I don't think you're going to find what you're looking for if that's all you do. If all you do is search for the philosophical answer to this philosophical problem, uh, you're never going to be satisfied. The only satisfied, uh, satisfying answer is to turn to the answer that God gave us, which is Jesus, to, to remember that God took on the worst evil for you, that he loves you enough to endure suffering, to endure pain, that, that there's nothing that you're going through in your life that is a foreign experience to God because of Jesus. And, and really that is the, the hope of Christianity is that uh, God promises that he's not going to leave evil to have the last say, that because of Jesus, we can trust that he is redeeming this broken world, that he will make things right again. Uh, and that is something that's worth meditating on, I think, if you're, if you're wrestling in this problem. Can I close this with a scripture? Please. Also comes from the book of Isaiah. You know how passionately I love these Old Testament scriptures that we miss. And Isaiah 63 says, In all their suffering, he too suffered. Yeah. It was his own present presence that saved us. And that's just a beautiful picture of a God who suffers, which is mind-blowing in itself, and a God who entered our suffering with his own presence in Jesus Christ. Yeah. Amen. Thanks, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast, Native Exiles. It means so much. We really appreciate you taking the time. want to encourage you to continue to follow us, subscribe on your favorite podcast app on YouTube. And also, we would love it if you would tell your friends about Native Exiles. We'll look forward to seeing you next time.